Thanks, Mike, for finally letting me tour the Cage Club Podcast Network studios. No problem, Brian. But hey, could you not tell Joey? He hates it when you mess around with his stuff. Is that every Nick Cage movie ever? Yup. From Fast Times to Massive Talent, this network is pretty much the house that Nicky Coppola built. Hey, what about over there? Where do those stairs go? I guess I'll try and bust out my Al Ruddy impression. You, you know what I noticed? I don't. You haven't done Ruddy in the opening, but you know what I noticed? Like the more we get into the show, the more Ruddy's like gravelly. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, he's definitely. I think I got him. I'm gonna do it as Ruddy. All right. <clears throat> hey, this is Uncle Francis's wine cellar, a podcast where we break down the films of Francis Ford Coppola cut by cut. And this is a Cage Club Network production. That's all. <laughs> Oof, I hope we don't do outtakes, Mike, because... <laughs> that was a doozy, huh? I just dropped uh, much of the glass of wine, but I'm here. I promise, I promise we're just starting now. But buena sera, have a seat, have a glass, and welcome to Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. I'm Brian Rodriguez, but where's Michael? We're not starting the podcast without Michael. Hey, and I'm Mike Manzi. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Sicily. Hey. I might be Brian Rodriguez, but I'm no maverick. <laughs> I, I'm an illusion. I'm a character. Shitty actor becomes king of Hollywood. None of this is real. Oh, my God. <laughs> Look, Bobby, all I got to say is I am the fucking movies, all right? I'm gold, Okay. <laughs> Episode 9 today of The Offer. What's the title? The title is It's Who We Are. Which I think is also said in the episode at one point, right? Oh, more than likely, yeah. You know, it's, prob- <laughs> it's probably said by Evans, where he's like, we make movies, it's who we are. <laughs> the Evans monologue, and this is great, and Ooh. you alluded to, Mike, we go to Sicily today. This is a fun one, episode 9. This is a long one. I think the longest yeah. run time we've gotten, I believe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Over an hour. Uh, and worth it, too. Like, really good use of its time. Uh, we get interesting character dynamics coming up. One especially I, I can't wait to talk about. Barry and Peter. Amazing stuff when those two are on screen together. So <laughs> lots, uh, lots of fun this time. Now, I am continuing to drink from last time this 2019 <laughs> Black Label Claret from the Francis Ford Coppola Diamond Collection. Very Enjoy nice. That as well. Very nice. Very Spilled nice. some on, on the floor, though, so don't tell my wife. No. Nope. Uh, have it decanted in the background. Hey, it won't, it won't leave this last. room, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got the decanter. Very nice. And I'm excited to talk this one and then... I need a glass of wine for this one because a lot happens. Yes, it does. Yeah. They go to Sicily. A lot happens there. Where's Bob Evans? Where's he at? He's locked in his mansion. Barry is given the keys to Evans's office. And Peter has, is like lost his fucking mind. He's like, I love how Peter's is solidified himself as like Evans's mini me. You know, he's like a, he's like a quarter of Evans where he's like running around trying to look and act like Bob. And, and he's like, how does this guy just not get it? This guy just doesn't get it. And lots of fun stuff to talk about here. Lots of fun stuff. Mike. The mob gets get their own it. personal screening of the Godfather. I can't wait to hear if that actually happened. It's so interesting. It's so fun. There's a lot of great facts on this episode, but before we dive into scenes and moments, I just want to remind you guys to hit that subscribe button, wherever you're listening, Google podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify, stitcher and while you're there leave us a positive review tell a friend about uncle francis's wine cellar please 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 have a friend watch the offer as well we're having a blast talking this show it's a great show it's a fun show it's silly at times but it's so amazing and thank you thank you for listening i've just been editing as i have been able to edit you know, this is a big kind of commitment since it's a show of 10 episodes and not a movie, which I'm usually doing. And Mike, the release date has shifted a little bit. It's been Monday, Wednesday, Friday, right? Like, <laughs> I, <laughs> nice. And I just want to thank the cellar dwellers, which I'm calling them now, for <laughs> Uncle, Se- Uncle Francis's wine. Are those fans. our fans? Those are our fans? 
I just coined it right now. The Cellar Dwellers. They're Francis's fans. They're Uncle Francis's fans. But they listen, hopefully. So thank you for listening. Tell a friend we appreciate yeah. it. So thank Mike. you, all your all the other nephews out there, along with us, all of all of Uncle Francis's nephews <laughs> who are listening along. There's cellar dwellers. There's nephews. Are they the same? Are they not? We'll discover it along the way. Um. So episode nine. I don't even know where to start. But Sicily, let's, Sicily. No, should we start in Sicily let's or no? Start in Sicily, right? I think we'll do Sicily, then the Evans Lapidus thing. Okay. And then now, the stuff we got to talk about. Did they go to Sicily or are they filming this in the volume where they shoot the Mandalorian? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> are they trying to say something about how this whole time they're like, we got to go to Sicily, we got to go to Sicily? And then did they shoot this in America, like on a back lot, and just sort of be like, see, movie magic? I don't know. I was wondering about that watching it, especially because, Brian, we can't forget to talk about. What we alluded to last episode that they get to at the end of this episode, we're rewriting history, baby. That's what we're doing. Rewriting history. Oh, so. my God. But before we get there, where are they shooting this? Did they go there? Um, I don't know if they went there in the show. It doesn't look like it. It totally looks like a back lot. <laughs> and I would say so, too. I believe the town of that they shot in, it's, which is not Colioni, which we'll learn. Yeah, I like, believe it's way more built up these days. But you okay. look in the show, it looks exactly like The Godfather. So I'm assuming they just built. Because there were there here. were times when when they go to the house that they use in the movie. You know, when they go to like where do they end up filming like Terramina or whatever or something. Yeah, it looks like, and not I'm just not you know you you do what you gotta and everything, but it kind of looked a little bit like a video game. <laughs> like, like they looked a little out of it. Like that's why I wondered if it was the volume or if it was just like a lot of green screen going on during a lot of that stuff. So I, I'm not sure, but I can guarantee you it definitely was not there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was joking. I don't think they actually took the production to Sicily. Definitely not, but that's totally fine. I mean, it's even more funny when you think about it, as you mentioned, but we still, Start pretty much in Sicily, in a van. It's a skeleton crew just to get these scenes. It's awesome because this is what we want. We want to see the behind-the-scenes movie-making. It's hiring people in Sicily for most of it. I mean, they have Pacino there, but do we see Pacino? Yeah, we see a little bit of Pacino. A little, right? But it's not crazy. Yeah, mostly we meet Tony, the AD. Yeah. Who, like, is uh, helping them out, shepherding them around, helping them try and find places to shoot and locations and francis is the king here he's in his element he just like his eyes light up when he sees the places that he wants to shoot in sicily again originally they go to the real village of corleone and corleone is like one i i know i've alluded to this a lot but i've watched a lot of special features for the godfather the reason that they say in the special features that they don't shoot there is that at this point, it's pretty built up. It's more like a city than a country town, you know? Yeah, yeah. In the show, it depicts it, and I was like, come on, the mafia again? I, I know, I know. Well, I think that was <laughs> I think that was a tongue-in-cheek thing where it was like, Al just escaped the mafia in America, and he goes to Sicily, and everything's run by the mafia. So like, he has to deal, if they want to shoot at Corleone, he's got to deal with the mob guy, and he's like, fuck this shit. We're not shooting in Corleone. Get in the truck. We'll find a look-alike place. Like it's the best way. He's the, like, yeah. I like the artistic liberty there because it's a punch. <laughs> it's a joke. It's just that you know. And the show is kind of like poking fun at itself. I feel you know. I thought that was kind of funny. No, it it was really funny in that sense. Um, another thing I just want to mention about the Sicily thing before I forget it. We love Francis. It's Uncle Francis' wine cellar. When he's talking about the Anaset, he's like, it's so smooth. He's like, I make my own, but it's nothing like this. No, like, no. This is what the show's all about. <laughs> the best part of that is he asks the waiter, <laughs> like, do you make this here? How do you make it? And the guy basically translates. He's like, ah, it's a secret, you know? And Francis starts going like, yeah, you know, I make my own. And the guy just walks away and everyone like, starts laughing at Francis. Oh my god, that was a peak oh. moment. That was so Oh, choice. I love it. The, the Sicily parts of this episode are all good and fun. Like, it's actually not a big part of the episode. I thought the whole episode was going to be in Sicily, but it's like 20 minutes worth or so. And it's just good, clean fun, honestly. 
Yeah, yeah. Everyone's getting along. You know, they're like, how are you going to light it? He's like, you know, that giant ball of plasma in the sky. <laughs> and, um, when they blow up the car, they do the thing again where they, it's a reaction shot. We don't get to see the explosion. But that whole thing's fun. Like, it seems like camaraderie is really good while they're on the set out there getting what they need to. The new location is very fortuitous because they just go like up the street to have a to a cafe, and that's the cafe they're going to use. Yeah, in the movie and stuff. So I, I don't know. It was very fun. It was cool. It's fun. It's fun. It, the casting of Apollonia he happens to just be what is it? Oh, a wife of this see, hot I, dude? Like okay, that's the show in a nutshell. Where. Betty is now like the casting agent and she falls in love at first sight with the guy whose little cafe they're going to use for like 40 bucks or whatever. And they're talking about like, oh, you know, it says in the script that she hits him like a thunderbolt and it can't just be looks. It has to be attitude. And then like in walks in the perfect actress, like as they were talking about her, you know, that is the epitome of this show right there. That's, that's, you know, it never happens in real life. And she says, Mons, they win, they fry. Like, she says that line. Dude, she's like, do you know any English? And yeah, oh my god, it was hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. You know I love it. I love it. I don't care. But this is why this people point. don't like it, is what I'm thinking, right? Like, this is exactly the kind of shit where people are rolling their eyes, and they're not even watching episode nine. They've ducked out by now. <laughs> well, those, those are the letterboxers, okay? Sorry, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just saying in I'm just saying in general, though. Like you know, I've complained before about the writing, and that's just not. I mean, that is just so fucking cliche. I'm sorry. Like it's in the book <laughs> of cliches. You know, you just like to pull that shit today is ballsy. You know, and there's no other explanation for it except that they know that this is a cliche and that that's part of the fun of the show is like every single one in the book. There's a line I wish I could remember, but like Ruddy even says something that I've heard like a billion times in, in like the eighties and nineties, but haven't heard for like 20 years. I was like, I can't believe you're even busting out like vernacular like that. Or what I, I don't know exactly what it was, but I, I had moments repeating like that again, this episode. We'll get to the whole theme of the show later when they tell it to us directly. But in regards to Sicily, I do like from our Francis point of view and our Godfather fan point of view, how they're framing it. Yeah, something I knew and I never really thought about. But basically, like, Michael needs to go to Sicily to show his transformation. It's his last loss of innocence when Apollonia dies. It is so yeah. important. And if they shot this in a back lot or like somewhere in California, we would know. It feels so authentic in the movie and so real. And it's a little respite from the shit that's going on in the rest of the film. And when you think about it, like you could see why some people would say, cut this. If it wasn't done 100% correct, as they say in the movie, that's the first thing that gets cut probably, right? Because you could totally skip ahead like, Two years later, Michael is back. Oh, yeah, yeah. But but it's so good in the movie. It's such an important little detour. And it makes his turn from good to evil so much more understandable and better that you get why Francis was fighting for it. Yeah, absolutely. And why it's there in the final cut. You know, I think it also clarifies something about the story that might have been i know i had this misconception early on when i first why well, i think it took me even two or three screenings for it to actually sink in permanently i thought this was going to be brando's story it's pacino's story you know and and the sicily sequence tells us that definitively saying like there's all this other shit going on still in America with the rest of the family. I think we get some newspaper clippings at one point, if if memory yeah. serves in the movie. Yeah. Like, yeah, we get the flipping headlines stuff, like a monster movie. But, like, <laughs> we're following Michael's journey, and he's alone in Sicily, you know? So we need to experience that along with him if we want the point of the movie, you know? If we want, if we want to get what it's all about. And, yeah... This is something else that Francis was fighting for in the last episode. One of his big speeches was about authenticity, you know, and it's all already there. And it all it is is for Pacino to interact with and to draw from and stuff. So, like, I feel like you get that much more from a real environment than, than a set. 
Although it is kind of funny how in the last episode, Betty is telling Brando at the rap party how, like, you're not even acting. You're just the truth. And, you know, and like <laughs> Brando can just be the truth at any moment. But, you know, I guess Pacino has to be in the actual wild to kind of channel that. But but I yeah, He's I young. mean, it's it's absolutely imperative that the audience understand, like, this isn't about the famous movie star Marlon Brando. This is about the new kid. Al Pacino and this is Michael's movie and his journey so like you need to complete the journey with him I'll probably retell this story when we cover The Godfather and it's many 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 forms on this podcast but when I first watched The Godfather front to back it was when I believe that DVD set came out I'd like caught a little bit here or there on TV I think but I really didn't know about it and I watched the entire film myself, had no idea Al Pacino was in it. Because the Al Pacino I knew was Scent of a Woman Al Pacino. Yeah, and yeah. Like, gravelly voice. Yeah, exactly. And he... And, uh. My uncle had never seen The Godfather as well, believe it or not. And he's like, oh, you saw it? Do you mind watching it again? Because I've always wanted to see it. And I was like, sure. He's like, he's like how's Al Pacino in it? I was like, what? Remember, I was much younger, right? I'm like, Al Pacino's in that movie? He's like, yeah, he's the star. And I remember even thinking about it then. I'm like, oh, that's so good that they take this obscure brother and who was an obscure actor at the time, as we see here. This could have been anyone's story. And early on, yeah, it's called The Godfather. You think it's Marlon Brando's story. But there's also points where you think it might be James Caan's story. You You think it might be Sonny's story, right? And for Michael, this, like, war hero brother to emerge as the hero, I'm using quotation marks as a bad dude, but, like, hero in the end. And for the Godfather title not really to be about Vito Colleone, but to be about Michael Colleone, as we see in the end, that's what makes the movie great. And Sicily, so important to that. Yeah, yeah. You know, the movie is called The Godfather, and... and Pacino becomes the Godfather by the end of the movie, so it's not lying. The title, I mean, technically, no. it's a, it's about it's about Brando. He's as well, and you know, sort of passing the choice. It's about the title of what a Godfather symbolizes. You know, it's also interesting too in this movie. Most of the time, you know, the hero when he has his fall from grace, like he has to make some sort of. I feel like it's usually he's making a deal some way or somehow a deal with the devil is like what we're supposed to be thinking for him to regain his power and give him the strength to go back and do what he needs to do. And then he's in debt or whatever. But in this movie in the Godfather and what I think the sequence in uh, Sicily really sort of cements is that Michael becomes the devil. (laughs) Like he loses all sort of emotion in a lot of ways, you know, like he is just, done with that side of getting hurt ever again okay and so he like is like cuts that human part out of him almost and becomes like this i don't know other kind of life form you know and and he gets called all kinds of things in the sequels and stuff the devil and you know a demon or whatever like that and like i don't know just thinking thinking about that sequence in particular like something like that really hits like you know he's completely isolated he's all on his own it's like uh that journey of self-discovery but he discovered like he's a monster and like he has this ability to go back and be completely ruthless because he's got nothing else to lose oh man i can't wait to talk the actual i know we're starting to talk the movie instead of the show (laughs) it's gonna be amazing and again we'll talk it a bunch of times because just as as a reminder Uncle Francis' wine cellar is more about the work of Francis Ford Coppola, and we're going to try to talk every cut of every movie, and maybe some other stuff, too. We're going to have some fun episodes, so looking forward to that. But this is the penultimate episode of The Offer. We got to do it. We got to see where it goes. But that's basically Sicily, right? Mm -hmm. Back home, shit is hitting the fan at Paramount, and it's basically because, as depicted on the show, we mentioned last time, probably not in real life, but... Bob Evans is missing. He's reeling over his divorce with Allie McGraw. She's left him for Steve McQueen, and he's just basically... First of all, when we see him, he's more disheveled than anyone has ever showed up to work, ever. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. 
Because yeah. he's a big character, which he'll allude to later. But he is locking himself in his home, not showing up to work. Um, you mentioned this uh, character of Peter, who we've seen throughout throughout. He's a real person, Peter Bart. That's the person I mentioned that has this great YouTube interview with the real Al Ruddy. He oh, became cool. a journalist oh, nice, after nice. this film. So they, real guy, they go way back. And he mentioned mm-hmm. in that interview that him and... Evans were the ones that saved the editing. The editing becomes a huge part of this episode. I would argue that I wanted it to become an even bigger part because apparently like, it took a long time to edit The Godfather. Yeah. It doesn't really depict that here. But it th- there's this beautiful, beautiful old-timey editing scene, Mike. Do you remember it where they're just like... Oh, cutting yeah. the film and Francis's oh I love yeah, it, I love that it's funny how you say old timey where they've been doing that up until like 1999 <laughs> like they've been still <laughs> cutting I mean Spielberg still insists on cutting on film like that as well as like Tarantino I believe but yeah I really wish we went a little further into editing I heard an amazing story when I was in school about the uh editing of this film you know, we saw George Lucas earlier. I think that was maybe episode one. He walked the, across in the background and he was in the edit suite. They were cutting something at the time together. I don't remember exactly what they were working on, but I heard a story that in order to construct the hospital sequence that was filled with Michael, you know, checking in on his father and no one was in the hospital and they have all those empty hallways and all that stuff. One day, him and George Lucas were literally digging through the garbage bins of things that they've clipped and cut away to form that sequence, to put that together and to make that work. So I understand there was a lot of tricks pulled oh. to make this play as well as it does. Like, I, cause I was expecting the first screening of them to be kind of lying about how much they loved it because their acting did not seem sincere after that first screening <laughs> to me, but it was. And so, you know, it could have been a little more dramatic if, if they were like, man, there's something's got to be uh, fixed with the cut here, maybe call in like a couple of his friends. Because like, as it is, I think like eight people have credit for editing The Godfather. So, you know, go into that a little deeper. There could be a whole nother show about the editing of The Godfather. It's legendary. Francis had so much just film footage of this. They kind of didn't know what direction. And from what I read, it's something that happened similarly with Fury Road that there was two concurrent edits happening Mm. at the same time. You know what I heard about that? So if you want to see proof of that uh, in the audio commentary for Spider-Man with Sam Raimi, he talks about how he hired two editors to make two separate cuts, and then he got another guy to sort of blend those versions together into the final cut. And that happens all the time in Hollywood, but... If you think about it with film, that's tough. So Francis was editing his longer version, apparently concurrently with like the Paramount cut. And it was about like, which cut do we go with? Which we we see that here, but we don't see the nitty gritty of it. Because you're right, Mike. I think a couple, like two or three people are credited with editing The Godfather. But there's like four or five other uncredited editors of The Godfather. So I would be curious as like the film nerds we are to know more about that and again when i watched this interview with peter bart um real life producer on the godfather he was saying how him and bob evans saved the film in editing and really got them to take that longer cut because of like i guess i don't know if they made changes or or did whatever but (laughs) evans had that one note about uh, the horse head sequence right (laughs) so yeah you know they're getting a little drops in here and there there's also when ruddy takes one of the prints to new york the guy mentions how there's only two copies of this i think that was also supposed to be a nod to the fact that there are two separate cuts of different lengths a studio cut and a director's cut like i think they're trying to when they can't specifically get time to do it they're trying to drop these like clues or easter eggs around around them talking about that just to sort of fill it in to see if you know and mike we know from you know our future doing this podcast that this footage is there they're going to keep this this footage because francis is going to not recut the movie like he did with dakota slash godfather 3 but there's going to be different versions of the film deleted scenes are out there so yep this movie was made in the editing room what do they say like there's a there's that old line like a movie's like 
written three times or made three times, like when you make the script, when you shoot it, and when you edit it. Right, it's like right. three unique processes. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. What we did get was fun to see, you know, how uh, chaotic it did. It did have that sort of sense where they're just grabbing the reels. And I'm thinking to myself, like, be careful, be be way more careful with that with that footage. Like you're getting fingerprints all over everything. You're just throwing it all over the room. You're going to scratch it up. Like, come on, guys. Like, that's wild. That that got to me. Let's talk about speaking of the editing. Let's talk about the whole Peter Lapidus. Oh my God, Evans saga that's happening here at Paramount. Last time, like Chinatown was alluded. This time, they've brought in um, uh, what's his name, a famous writer. Oh, Alvin Sargent, and he's talking about Paper Moon and another movie that I don't think was ever made. And we get to see that, but Lapidus is temporarily in charge of Paramount, you know, while Evans has disappeared. And he's just such a fucking square about how he's running things. (laughs) Which was, I mean, alluded to the entire series that he's a hard ass and a tightwad, but like in the last episode at the rap party, everyone's drunk and he's drinking like seltzer water and they're busting his ass about it and everything. So, I mean, he, he is a real, you know, stick in the mud. He's, he's a dipshit. Like he is no fun, at least right now. But he thinks he can do what Evans does. Like, he's like, oh, it's no big deal. It's a numbers game to him. You know, he has no fucking passion for art. He doesn't know what art is. If it fucking was a guy named art, it punched him in the face, you know? (laughs) And I love how that is personified in Peter. Because Peter is just, like, besides himself. The whole episode, he is just, like, cannot understand what Barry thinks he's gonna do like what do you think you're doing man like there's a whole system set up and you're fucking it up you're fucking everything up like no one gives a shit what you like that's not what we're doing here he can't grasp the fact that like they're making movies about things people don't know they want to see or haven't seen yet and he's like old reliable bullshit you know and and peter's just like i'm losing my fucking mind with this guy absolutely mike uh so i you know i i read that hbo book and a couple times hbo would promote or the company that owned them because they've been owned by several companies would promote not the creative guy at the company but the accountant would become ceo of hbo or you know, someone in a different department would become CEO of HBO. This actually happens in real life. Yeah. So while uh mentioned last time, Lapidus is not a real character. He does represent, like, Paramount at the time, like the suits at Paramount. And that's kind of the direction that Bob Evans fight. They created Lapidus just as a personification of the Robert Evans foil. And I think I think it's great. Is it played to 11 Sure, but whatever. It's like the fact that like Chinatown, I don't get it. But you know what's funny? You, you know why they make it good? It is hard to pitch Chinatown to anyone oh. when you think about what that movie is about. So I get it. There, there's a lot of fun stuff about Lapidus. Like first of all, like he is the anti Evans in every way. You know, there every way. So I love that about him. I was, I was like his dark, his dark half, or or, or something like that. And and as far as like Chinatown goes, like brilliant. Like Evans fucking flopped doing the pitch the last episode, and Peter can't even pitch this movie. But he has a better grasp of why they should make it, I think, than Evans does. Like Evans is like Jack Nicholson's in it, and Roman Polanski's directing it, and it's about water. But Peter's mm-hmm. like. You know, there's a detective and it's about water being stolen from people and the rich and incest. And it's about, you know, and he's really sort of like pitching it well. And, and Barry is just like, no one wants to see this shit. Like, you're boring the hell out of me. Like, I, you, you don't even know what you're talking about. And and Peter's just like, yeah, man, but it's like movies and stuff. Like, it's something, I, do they even mention at one point it's something you can't even, like, put your finger on? Like, it, they say that about Evans or something. Like, he's got a certain something that you can't quantify or something. And I think... But it's true. It, yeah, and that's what they're constantly trying to allude to with the fact that Barry is such a dipshit, is that, like, this is not his world. You know, he's more concerned that The Godfather's two hours so they could fill 20% more of the screens or whatever. Like, he's thinking on the wrong level, which is 
why he doesn't belong here. 100%. And they do a great job depicting that. Meanwhile, Evans is in his home. They can't even, like, Ugh. get into him. The I don't know if it's happened in real life, but it's depicted as Ruddy being the one who kind of pulls him out of it. But um, the monologue we mentioned at the beginning, where he's just, like, saying basically he's a character, is, to me, so amazing. Because yeah. he has been, A, the biggest character in this show. B by every indication, has been a character in, in real life. And the self-awareness, he's like, I'm a shitty actor, you know, who, who was running a studio. How did this happen? It's so cool to me because it, it's something that I think a lot more people have become aware of in the last 10 years as it's now okay to be like, I see a therapist or I'm working on myself before it was like, you hid that. Yeah. And we don't have to get into like the mental health revolution here or whatever, but... He has imposter syndrome, right? He plays this character of himself just to kind of maintain this, I don't want to say illusion because he's earned it, but part of him doesn't feel like he's earned that position from where he was to where he is. So when it yeah. falls apart for him in the show with um, you know, his beautiful starlet wife dumping him, it all falls apart for him. So even though this is timeline not correct, I still love it. And Matthew Good, once again, bravo. Oh, incredible. Just my heart breaks again seeing Evans in his underwear, you know, just standing in the middle <laughs> of his hallway while Reddy bangs on the door. But like this episode is my, maybe my favorite because here's another instance where the show becomes extremely self-aware which is why i think it knew what it was doing the whole time and why it was just playing instead of trying to be important or whatever you know evans does give that whole speech you know i'm a false idol i'm a bad guru you know uh i'm an illusion you know all this shit and yeah on the one hand but on the other that's also you like you do do that like you put on that suit and you go to fucking work and you make the most amazing passionate speeches because you believe that shit it's not like you're lying you know superman is the same way he's clark kent and he's superman he puts on a suit he fucking puts on this image that every that he projects that he's trying to maintain that everybody knows him by and inside he's this self-aware I'm sure he's got imposter syndrome too, Superman, from time to time. But like, it's this moment of self-awareness that the show has, that Evans is having, that is sort of clashing at the perfect moment here. Because in the arc of Evans and his career and everything, he's about to lose everything. Forget Allie. Allie's gone. But like, you're going to lose your fucking career, this house, everything, if you don't pull your shit together, you know? So... While he, I, I, my heart is kind of breaking for the character for what he's saying about himself. It's the one time where, where Al's sort of like pep pep talk is is working for me, you know, because Al's kind of telling him like, "You are that guy who can walk into a room and sell anything," you know. So we just need that guy to get back as soon as possible, kind of thing. So yeah, it's very cool. It's very cool because I, again, like I said last episode, I like to see everyone against Evans and him being an asshole. And here we see another side of Evans, and it just extra dimensions are good. It's it's better that he's not running around doing blow on airplanes the entire show, and that we see these moments from him. You know, he's he's more complex than most of the other characters, which is super interesting. Super interesting. I couldn't agree more, Mike. When he shows up, like finally cleaning himself up just to sort of combat Lapidus's control of the studio and when he just walks in with the, the poster meeting oh, so and good. it's just like that that poster sucks let's use the book one which is what like Francis is saying but also Peter's speech about like we work with the artists because they have the vision they're oh. more connected than we are to it it's just like thank you it was thank so you, great when when Barry barges in on that meeting about Paper Moon and he stays for like two seconds because he doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about and he's way out of his depth. They're like, I want to de-age the character a couple of years. And he's like, well, I have a 12-year-old daughter. She's not going to relate to a nine-year-old. It's like, yeah, but asshole, she was nine once, wasn't she? <laughs> Peter Bart um, in real life has been a critic of the show, or at least he was early on. I hope he watched this episode and was like, 
thank you for giving me my just due because a lot of these background people don't get that. Yeah, but. even if even if you had to create a character to uh, give me props, like you know, it's still great, you know. And Mike, what what did you say? Um, Evans's book is called in real life. I know you. The read kid it. stays in the picture. Perfect title for how they're depicting him because he finds a way to stay in the picture no matter what it is. Oh, right? Like so good. Again, like he might think he's a fraud, but that's again like he he wouldn't be able to burst into the room like that. And he knows exactly what he's talking about. It's like. Lapidus is making good points about it being too long and stuff, but it's not that kind of picture. And he's like, you can't have these guys standing in a V formation. That doesn't fucking sell. You got to use the key art from the book. Like everyone knows that it's like symbolic at this point. Like it just, you don't even need to say the Godfather. You just have the marionette hand thing going. And they're like, he's like, it looks like a swastika. It's like, you're dumbass. You know? <laughs> and it just almost seems like any excuse to, to say no but evans has these arguments you can't say no to and he comes into the room and he woos charlie again and he gets his fucking job back and they you know the rest is history but dude it's not just about winning charlie back he wins lapidus over and to me that that makes the show so much better than i kind of thought it was at certain points because lapidus is a caricature as well as bob but when he listens to bob's passion we get to the core of Lapidus, and Lapidus is, yeah, he wants to control Paramount, but it's not because he's evil. He just thinks he can do a better job. And being in that seat, he's like, whoa, I don't know if I can. Like, you know, he's thinking that, and he's like, Bob is the right dude for this. I'm going to do the right thing and basically be like, he should be back in his chair. And yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's a little redeeming to me because uh, I forgot the name of that other dude who got fired. But oh, he was just right. like pure evil in a sense. For Lapidus, again, remember, he represents the Paramount suits as a whole to recognize the importance of Bob Evans and like, yeah, we deal with the bullshit because he's got a great eye for this stuff. To me, I liked that moment because it just signified that sometimes you got to work with the creative crazies to get shit done. It's called the movie business, but it's not the same definition of business you know it should you can't just go in there and make a movie like like you were selling a product because we watch those movies they're soulless they're lifeless you know and like especially at this time in film history you know what evans is doing is sort of unprecedented and bluthorn even talks about that a little bit you know he didn't just pick him out of a hat like he actually saw something in this guy to give him a chance and take a risk and everything and it's very nice to see Barry come around you know and I think it was a combination of things I think it was a day on the job and realizing like how much Evans actually really does do on a day-to-day basis to the point where his secretary accidentally calls him Mr. Evans when he's leaving the office at one point and then yeah and then seeing Bob be able to bounce back like that and be in control in a way that you look at him and say like I hate this guy but he knows what he's talking about like he doesn't have to like him but he respects him right that's ultimately kind of what it comes down to and by the end of the episode they're going to share a drink you know there's a mutual respect there so that's that's pretty great And, and in a lot of ways I think the show is saying like Bob has reconciled that side of himself, you know, dealing with studio suits and struggling with understanding that part of the world. We only have one more episode left unless we get a Bob Evans show. But uh, I think the show is saying... Chinatown, baby. (laughs) Godfather Part 2. I don't know how involved (laughs) he was. But I think the show is sort of trying to say something that, like, with his Phoenix-like arrival here at the end you know of this episode like he has really had to reconcile more than just his losing his marriage he had to understand like what it means to be head of paramount again you know and like take those reins and and the importance of that and having to deal with the higher-ups and and all that shit you know it's all part of the dance so he seems to be as even now as he's gonna be (laughs) for sure for sure great bob evans episode if I had to pick someone to get nominated for an award, it would be Matthew Good as Bob Evans. Like that, oh, that would be oh, my yeah. pick here. Oh, by far, by far, absolutely. Unless we're talking those Razzies, and then we're gonna go with Giovanni Barisi. 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. I kid. I love I kid. I, I'm actually sad that he's been sidelined the last two episodes. I thought for sure we were going to get groggy Giovanni Ribisi in his like oh, hospital bed. Finish, finish the movie. You gotta <laughs> promise me one thing, alright? Finish the movie. I just get dedicated to me. So we've danced around this, Mike. We've danced around them basically telling us the point of this show. Why don't yep. you recap what exactly we're talking about here? Okay. So there, how should I start it with, with sort of the discussion of the scene? Um, well, I guess all throughout this show, we've been kind of questioning the validity of truth that we're seeing. You know, how much of this actually happened? How much of this have they made up? You know, what is... What is fact? What is fiction? What is history? What's been rewritten, you know, from a certain point of view, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I never thought that the show would kind of be brazen enough to outright come out and give us their thesis statement in the second to last episode, but it appears to be what they have done here. And when Charlie is rehiring Evans, right, that's the sequence. Um, I believe that's the sequence, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Charlie starts talking about like I love movies about history. Yeah, yeah. So when when Charlie has uh has rehired Evans, he he's like, you know what movies I like? He's like, I like movies about history, you know, because it's impossible to be there, you know. You have basically why I like movies too is like because it's the only way to experience that situation in a lot of ways, right? And so he's like, you know, but a lot of the times, you know, with movies, what we're able to do is we can rewrite history, make it the way we want. And that's how you deal with the horrors of the reality of those situations that you went through. OK. And, you know, this is a guy who in real life saw a lot of horrors from from war and stuff like that. So uh, has I, I I believe the character, you know, when, when I think they use the perfect character to deliver that point you know, the head of it all, the head of the company, right? The guy in charge of everything, essentially the God of the show, right? It's basically God <laughs> saying this show isn't exactly telling you the way it went. It's telling you the way we wanted it to go, like the way, like the better way, you know, this is better than the way it actually went. And that's why we're saying it this way, because that's more entertaining than the truth sometimes is the fiction or, or the alternate history, or or the movie magic of it, I think is what he's really getting at. Is like that's what it allows us to do is to remember things better, or the way we wish they were. And I think that's what ultimately this show is doing. Is did has done is what it did, and why it was able to reshuffle things and change things and alter things and do that kind of stuff, and do it in a way that for us worked and was a lot of fun you know and uh we got a big kick out of it so whether or not everybody liked it whether or not it was you know entirely successful we'll find out through the reviews down the line when more people watched it but for me that's what i was hoping for i never expected them to come out right and say it but i'm glad they did and this is the way i was watching the show so i'm happy that it worked out that way, I guess. I don't know. It's just the last thing I expected them to say, but sort of my favorite thing they've said yet, I guess. <laughs> Mike, it's ridiculous, but it works because it lets us now, especially you and me who are deep diving this show like no one else is, and we'll explain uh, some of my reasoning for that later, but it explains that they know that they're in on the joke, if you will. Like, that this was a choice the entire time. It wasn't that they were just stumbling on this yeah. sort of weird, silly, over-the-top show. They had made a choice to make it that way. And knowing that, I'm all in. I know I say that a lot, and I know it's episode 9. Being all in doesn't matter that much anymore. But it's so true. And that clarifies so much to me about this show. Cold Turkey, if I were to tell someone who had not watched this show, oh, by the way, in episode 9, they're going to tell you that this is not 100% true. But <laughs> yeah, they, the big, the big twist it. is that they're self-aware like that. <laughs> like, people are going to be like, all right, that's stupid. But if, you, if you're watching like we are, 
and you're that into it like we have been, it's like, oh, okay, so you're not dumb. We're not dumb. We've been in on the same joke the entire time. Yeah. And it's okay to have fun with it. So, yeah, bravo. I love that this happened. Honestly, it makes the show smarter because it's not just like a silly fun adventure. It's like meta. It's a show about the making of the movie. But we have to remember that it's still fiction. That there could theoretically be a show about making this show. They're not, there's not going to be, but you know what I mean? Like, right. this is all legends. This is just legends about yeah. something that's become legendary. You could not have said this earlier, obviously, okay? I think it comes out at the right <laughs> moment because we've seen a lot of them filming The Godfather. So reality, in a lot of ways, is getting kind of, like, messy what's real what what is what are they filming what's actual what am i actually seeing that's that actually happened and stuff so like yeah i think it was a it was a really good idea for them to come out right and say like don't worry like we knew what we were doing the whole time in a way that didn't feel condescending or anything like that but another thing about it too is like i was expecting this big speech from charlie that was going to suck like that was you know just familiar and wrote like a lot of the other speeches and and he comes out with like this revelation instead and i was like well that that was cool too because it like tricked me on that level as well like he's he's referencing the show now and like i don't know i, I yeah i don't know exactly what else i can say about it except like it was a, it was a really smart thing for them to do yeah and the show i complained a lot about the writing and stuff but this does sort of make me look back and say that was intentional kind of stuff, you know, like they were playing, they were just having fun. And it still doesn't necessarily fix a lot of the mafia stuff for me, but I had already sort of forgiven that on its own level, you know, like it's, it's not going to keep me from, you know, rewatching this or recommending it or anything like that. So yeah, it was just a really cool revelation and I'm glad that they kind of, you know, said it out loud. Couldn't agree more, Mike. I was so excited about this part of it. Uh, two other things I want to mention in regards to the episode, or two other storylines, if you will. Betty, we've kind of uh, talked about this character the entire time, how much agency she has, how important she is, how much of a like a producer, or even a future producer, it's predicted that she would be. Mike, I mentioned this, that we are studying this show more than I think anyone else, because I couldn't find this online. I did this personal research, and it wasn't that much research, so I'm sure other people know, but (laughs) it's depicted early in the episode that she's having a meeting with someone, and she reveals to Ruddy that, like, yeah, I'm not going to continue producing with you, though she's capable of it. She probably realizes at the time for women, she's never going to get that credit, so she wants to branch off on her own, and she decides she wants to be an agent. We don't see who the guy is, but do you know who that guy is, Mike? Who is... The guy from the cigarette ads. That's who he calls him, right? So I am wearing this shirt in honor of him. And if you're watching the oh, video of this, oh, if we put the video Oh, out. oh, is it? Is it? Um, oh, oh, shit. It's on the tip of my tongue. It's on the tip of my tongue. It's not Magnum, Ooh. is it? It is. <laughs> What's his fucking name? It's on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> Mustachioed man. I'm not going to get it. It's too late. You're just going to have to tell me. So so <laughs> Betty in real life, again, real person, I did my research. I'm like, who could this be? And I read her actual obituary. She actually is most famous for being the longtime manager of Tom Selleck's career. Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck, Magnum P.I. himself. Wasn't he this close to being Indiana Jones? Yeah, he was. He actually screen tested it. So regardless, he ends up. You know, having a great career. Yeah, she was a good agent. (laughs) In retrospect, regardless. But she actually basically was like, you know, I'm going to take this guy from this ad. I'm going to make him a movie star. That's going to be my project. And she did a bang-up job. Apparently in Hollywood, she was famous for making Tom Selleck a superstar, which he was. Wow. So, yeah, if you're not, again, if you're not watching a video, if we do release it, I'm wearing a red Hawaiian shirt. Yes, you're wearing the Magnum Magnum shirt. You're also wearing the, is it the Dale from Chippendale's Rescue Rangers? One is dressed like Indiana Jones and one is dressed like Magnum (laughs) P.I. Ironically. Did did you see that movie, by the way? Uh, I've I've seen half of it. I got to finish it. Maybe I'll finish it after (laughs) this. (laughs) 
it's funny because I just assumed that Betty would go on to like produce other things or, or work with them, but she actually goes on to in Hollywood a different career track and is amazingly successful Good. in that respect. Maybe not you know a household name, of course not, but in Hollywood she was just known again as Tom Selleck's superstar uh, manager and agent so nice good for her yeah and i i haven't seen that written anywhere about the show just like mike i haven't seen the george lucas thing written anywhere about the show this show is deeper than we think and as revealed in this episode there are easter eggs here that i bet if you watched again you'd be like oh shit why aren't we writing about the show too you know what's kind of funny is when cage club originated joey and i were watching every single cage movie but we also wrote about every single cage movie so if you go way back there's like a blog post for every single cage movie that we watched so like every movie i would also write kind of like an article about it or something like that so uh maybe when the first 10 episodes are done we'll release like a little text article of all of our little findings or something i mean we could talk about it off air and everything but i mean it's something else to do to promote the show is like get some of this stuff in writing so then people search for it online and the keywords pop up and it's like george lucas was portrayed in the fucking offer like where was that and then people have to go back and look at the episode so it'll be attributed to us and (laughs) at the very least if they allow us to contribute to imdb trivia we should because well come on i what do you mean allow us like that (laughs) that trivia might be too good for imdb (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so uh props to betty for wanting to branch out on her own again real character and she actually did that so bravo so the last thing uh we'll kind of discuss here is this screening that they end up doing for the mafia so it's depicted as like a little bit dramatic like hey these mob guys want to see the movie but they'll never allow them in uh the real premiere so what do we do so ready sort of borrows or steals the film, goes to New York and say, we're doing a screening and invites the entire mafia there. Mike, this story, apparently 100% true. Unbelievable. I would never guess that. I thought it was bullshit. I don't know if he stole the film. I haven't found that out, but he actually did do a separate screening for the mafia. They loved it. Of course they loved it. It's an amazing movie. (laughs) (laughs) It was real. But, dude, dude, I still hear from the Italian-American community that I know a reluctance to watch The Godfather. Really? Really? I've never watched The Godfather. And then you hear Italians, like, again, you said in your own family, who love it. But there's still a pocket who thinks that this is offensive to Italian people. Oh, interesting. I think Goodfellas depicts us worse you know i mean i'm, I'm, I'm italian american i have no problem really with gangster films because they're just fucking movies people like it's not reality i mean i know art imitates life and vice versa whatever you want to say and you know there's there's truth in fiction but like there should be no reluctance to watch the godfather for that reason i mean it's a it's a wonderful movie there's way worse shit coming out all the time it's funny though you know, I recently was talking to my nephew. He turned 21 and he just watched Goodfellas for the first time. And, and he's like, oh, I maybe want to watch The Godfather. I was like, I can't believe you haven't watched The Godfather yet because yeah. your brother is, I mean, your father is my brother, you know, grew up watching that movie. I can't believe you don't know it word for word yet. He's like, yeah, you know, it's just, it's not on my radar. I'm not really into that stuff, but like, I'm going to check it out now. So you never know who's going to discover it when or where or how, but I don't think that you know, you shouldn't watch that because it's a negative portrayal of this, that. The, I mean, that's that's what movies are supposed to do. That's what art's supposed to do. You know, what are you not going to watch Braveheart if you, you're, you're Scottish. Scottish and you don't like how brutal William Wallace was fighting for your freedom? Like, you know, like the way you were portrayed as barbaric. Like, I just watched The Northman. I'm also Norwegian, you know, and like, Go watch that movie. Like, I know Vikings are, ex- they're portrayed like animals. They're, you know, vicious, vicious animals. But, like, it's an incredible movie. It's worth watching. You might learn something about yourself. Look for me. And, yeah, I need to watch Northman. I love that cast and I love uh, Norse stuff. But for me, I'm not Cuban, but I am, a, you know, a Latin person and... I love Scarface, and that's Italian people, <laughs> yeah. and that's that's not like for the majority of non-Latin people playing Latin people, 
But I, Scarface is one of my favorite movies. Like it, it's a desert island movie for me. Some people get offended by things, but I think a great film is a great film. And if it has heart and if there's truth to it, you, you know you're going to enjoy it, and you're going to see yeah. past the quote unquote stereotype if it's if it yeah. even exists, right? Because now this isn't true for everything, but a lot of stereotypes are based on real things. Not every Italian's in the mafia, right? Right. But there were Italians in the mafia. That's a true, yeah, yeah. That's a true story. So again, I'm not Italian. You are. I can't speak to that. But if anyone's ever deterred, one of my best friends, an Italian person, never watched The Godfather. I sat him down and made him watch The Godfather, and he said it was a great movie. This is a great movie, just like not because it's about Italian Americans. It's a great movie because it's a great movie. Bottom line. Yeah. So you're absolutely yeah. right. When the mafia people watch it and they're getting so emotional. Yeah, they can relate to it, but also almost every room <laughs> that watched The Godfather was like, holy shit, this is an amazing movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the last thing I'll say about it is like I try not to get offended by, the, by films and art and literature and stuff like that. But I do get offended by real life. You know what I'm saying? So, like, <laughs> it's more like, <laughs> yes, in real life, the mafia is, you know, offensive, and terrible. But, like, I could watch a movie about it. It's a movie. So, I guess that's, I don't know. At this hour, that's where I'm, that's what I'm thinking about. But Yeah, but, like, do you even think it, like, glorifies the mafia, the Godfather? No, Absolutely not. No, if anything, it makes me want to be in the mob less. So, <laughs> I know you were, you were thinking about that as a career choice at one point. There was a time. To. There was a time it could have been possible, I suppose. But. <laughs> oh man! So yeah, I think this is a really, really strong episode, especially paired with episode eight. I don't know where they're going to go to episode ten. Obviously, the real premiere and the release of the movie, but like, where's the drama? Yeah, I'm not I, sure. Is it- the Academy Awards, but I mean, you know. We all know, like, you could just go online and find out how that happened. But, oh, you know what else I heard? There's a great story Evans tells in his book about getting Henry Kissinger to show up with him at the Academy Awards. Or maybe it was the premiere of The Godfather. So I'm looking out to see if that happens. That's so random. (laughs) Oh, it's super random. I mean, this isn't like a deep dive into the making of The Godfather. It's just a drama, right? Like, we don't get, like, uh, Clemenza improvising the cannoli line. You know what I mean? It's not everything from the film. No, no. Otherwise, they would have just remade the movie, right? Yeah. Like for television. Like a Paramount (laughs) Plus original film, The Godfather remake. (laughs) I guarantee before we die, something like that's going to happen. A part four. I think a part four before anything else. They've been kicking... Now, these characters are too old at this point, but the whole... We'll talk about this. Dude, recasting? Come on. You read that Fury Road book. I mean, I'm sure they got into recasting Mel Gibson. True, true. But the the whole idea for Godfather 4 was going to be watching the Andy Garcia character. True, true. In the the 70s and kind of uh, mirroring like the John Gotti story in real life. With Oscar Isaacs could step in on that role. Oh, you speak my language here. But with... A parallel of basically a prequel to Godfather 1. They wanted to do... This was like a big rumor for a while. They wanted to do basically the end of the De Niro storyline in Godfather 2 to how we get to the place in Godfather 1. Oh, to the wedding? So we're going to end that? I gotta go. My daughter's wedding is tomorrow. (laughs) Not necessarily there, but like... Because because all the children are are born by the end of part 2 in the flashbacks... It, so. it was supposed to, like, there was a rumor at one point that, and again, I, I'm sure we'll talk about this later in later episodes, but there was a rumor at one point that DiCaprio, this was younger DiCaprio, was going to play, like, Sonny, like, the rise of Sonny, essentially, no. mirrored, mirrored with his, his, bastard his, his son, his bastard kinda. son, dealing with all the problems of modern mafia. Okay, I, I remember us talking about this on the Godfather 3 episode a little. You know what would be interesting now, though, is to see Michael Corleone, the war hero, like juxtapose him at war with what's happening with the Corleone family now, and you could see the start of what could have been so great, and then you see maybe where the Andy Garcia character is trying to legitimize it more and make it rise it back up. I don't know. Well, Mike... With the rise of Prestige TV, or whatever you want to call it, right? Not that crazy to extend that to a series, right? Like hey, a movie. Paramount Plus would be the perfect place. 
a movie might have been ambitious, but you don't think they're salivating at the idea of like a Godfather universe, oh, like oh, the Star oh. Wars thing? Oh, Brian, we're so dumb, man. They have the cast. They have the cast. They have the guy playing fucking Pacino, Brando, everybody. If they want to do more Godfather stuff from that era, they can do it. <laughs> That's where I'm going right now. That's what I'm thinking about. I so really much opportunity. Think, I, I think, the thing is, Coppola would have to be behind it. He, We know that he is... Uh, really, really in the weeds would he, right now with Megalopolis. You don't think he, he would have to give his blessing? He would have to give his blessing because if he's like fuck, I don't want, I don't want this. No one's gonna watch it. You don't think they'd say, "Hey, for the Godfather, we'll give you whatever you need for Megalopolis, and we'll help you out with that movie." But let us do a Godfather show with or without you. You want to be involved? We'll do a George Lucas thing like he is with Disney and the Star Wars. Which, yeah. if they should let George Lucas direct an episode of the fucking Mandalorian one of these days, like <laughs> the hell. But that's what I mean. Like, Paramount Plus is the grounds for a Godfather show if there's ever going to be one. A hundred percent. And honestly, do I want them to remake the Godfather? Absolutely not. Would I take that, like, what we're discussing here, like a Godfather series that kind of tells these parallel stories. Yeah. 100%. Because Mafia in the 70s, so interesting. There's been Dude. some movies about it. So You know what would be great? In the framing. 80s and 90s. Sorry, great, I should great, say that. No, Sorry. Great framing device, too, is, you know, it could start. It just reminds me of the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. It used to start with old Indiana Jones, like crotchety old man telling a story about his youth. You could have, like, old Michael. You know, you could start with him. Maybe he's telling it to his cat or his, you know, one of the neighbors or the gardener or something like that. But, like, he starts remembering and you flash back to whatever you need to. I don't know. There, There's potential here for a whole universe. And I don't know what's going to happen, but. The the Carlo miniseries. Carlo, <laughs> How did he meet yeah. Connie? <laughs> <laughs> God, like, spinoff characters. Like, the rise of Tessio. <laughs> the rise and fall <laughs> just stuff like that like uh oh man yeah like you could do like what did clemenza and corleone oh. get up to aside from just like stealing a rug like what's some of the other <laughs> shit they did how about how about like the hyman roth story like his little rise oh, you know, yeah with, with yeah a, with uh mo green there's a lot of shit to do there's vegas there's the whole vegas chapter you know that you could do yeah yeah Oh man, but tons of potential here. Regardless, episode hey, nine. I this think. show is doing its job for us. We're we're watching the end of this show, going. We want more new Godfather content, right? Like that's kind of what we're saying. We wouldn't mind that, would we? No. Like I think that's part of the purpose of this show too, is testing the waters. Like, would anybody want some more of this, or do you want a different direction? You know. So it'd be interesting to see what happens down the line. I know, I know, uh, I know Paramount Plus, like, they got, like, eight Star Trek shows. You know, they are so into, like, building their IPs out and busting that world wide, wide open. You know, they're chasing Disney and everything. Like, this is a IP that they have that is extremely valuable that has yet to be mined, you know? And there's tons of stuff to mine here. I think if the show would have been a huge hit, we're not even talking about if, we're talking about when. I'm hoping that, again, this show is going to be a slow burn. I th I'm hoping that people will binge. It's just not enough people have Paramount Plus. So that's the real reason that they're not watching. Because I think it would be a, a lot of fun for a lot of people who don't have access to it right now. So if you happen to be one of these weirdo listeners who listens to us but doesn't watch the show, which if you are, thank you. But... Get Paramount Plus. Borrow somebody's. If you really, really... No, I can't. I was going to do suggest some illegal things. Don't do illegal things. But find a way to watch the show. And I guarantee you're going to have a blast if you're a Godfather fan. I can't imagine a Godfather fan who's not going to have a blast watching this show. So, Episode 9 did its job. Anything else you want to mention from the episode, Mike? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I think that's pretty much it. Covered a lot. There was, this is a big episode, a fun episode, a long episode, but a necessarily long one, you know? I, I like that we got all that Barry stuff. That was really good. And, uh, you know, Hanks is killing it. 
really good. And uh, yeah, it was a good episode. Looking forward to the finale. Well, thanks so much for listening once again. Really appreciate it. Whether you're cellar dwellers, whether whether you're nephews, we haven't figured it out yet. Maybe you're both. Who knows? Uh, but follow the show on social media. We have an Instagram, Uncle Francis Wine Cellar, where we'll announce when a new episode comes out. Of course, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at my other show, High School Slumber Party. That's where I'll post for that. We talk teen films there. Follow that on Twitter and Facebook as well. I have a personal Twitter, oh my Rodriguez, which is at oh my Rodriguez, um, which I'll post about the show here too. And Mike, you've got a ton of shows. Yes. You've got a ton of social media. Why don't you tell the uh, audience? Some stuff going on. So my Twitter is at the underscore Mikester. Uh, I do a show called Third Times a Charm, the third of every month. I look at the third installment of a franchise. Brian is there most of the time as my unofficial co-host. I do a show called The Monsters That Made Us, which is the final Friday of every month with my friend Dan Cologne. The Monsters That Made Us, where we are looking at the history of the Universal Monster movies, one movie at a time. And Joey and I, Joey Lewandowski and I have a bunch of shows. However, I do just want to mention the most recent episode of a show we do called Hanks for the Memories. We covered Boz Lerman's Elvis. <clears throat> and, and this is the Colonel Tom Parker talking. And I just want to snow you a little bit about listening to Elvis, the Boz Lerman movie with, with my boy Elvis himself. Uh, yes, that is my Tom Hanks impression of Colonel Tom Parker from the Elvis movie. It's insane. It's also going to be released on our Viva Pod Vegas Elvis movie podcast feed that I also do with Joey. So uh, don't let him snow ya. Listen to those episodes. I just realized that I think Hanks is doing um, Adam Sandler doing his <laughs> Billy Mattis. He's like, fight. listen to me, Elvis people, papa people. <laughs> It's funny because, like, we're talking about a show about The Godfather, and we're talking about a fictional Francis Ford Coppola. And on your Elvis podcast, technically, you talked about a fictional Elvis. So yeah. that's the mode we're in today in 2022. Yeah, it's mind-bending, but, uh, well, what else are you going to do? <laughs> Mike, I think it's time for the curtains to go on this episode, hopefully. There's a, there's a big gang of mafia people clapping about how good a job we, <laughs> we did today. Uh, but of course, we have to end the show the same way every time now, unless you guys don't like it, which, what are we doing? Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. All right. This is the end. Beautiful friend. This is the end. My only friend, the end of our elaborate plans, the end of everything that stands, the end, no safe.